Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. And all the time, God is good. God is good. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, New Life South Coast Church. I give all honor, glory, and praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm excited about being with you today. It's great to be a part of the New Life family. I was so honored when Pastor Marco invited me to deliver the message today. I was excited, and I've been praying and, and just believing the Lord to move in a, in a wonderful way here in this place today. And as we were worshiping the Lord, I got a sense that people have been praying for this service, right? You know, we... The Lord is definitely here. I want you to know that I love your pastor and his family. Aren't they wonderful? God is, <laughs> God has really blessed you all with a wonderful under shepherd, and, and so it's just a blessing. I definitely want to give honor to all the elders, ministers, all those of you that are here today. I honor you today, and thank you so much for coming out to worship uh, with us today. And of course, I have to give honor uh, to my drop-dead gorgeous wife, that lady in red right there. I... Uh, I, I, I got to make sure I don't look at her, because if I look at her, I'll get distracted, I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll be paralyzed, I'll be slain in the spirit. So uh, if, I, if I look this way, just know I'm just trying to avoid that lady in red. <laughs> but thank you so much for your letters and your prayers for our ministry behind bars. Uh, the brothers at New Life, surely, eventually they'll be tuning in. They'll be able to watch our service. And so thank you so much for, uh, for the blessing that you've been to our ministry. Uh, my name is TJ Weaver. It's an honor to be with you. I have a word that I want to bring today. I believe in my heart it's a very timely word. That's, I, be I believe it's a word for those of us, not only for the church, behind bars because I had an opportunity to preach this message to them, but it's for all of us today. Yes, you may be seated. <laughs> I want to speak to you from this topic, men, what does the Lord require of you? Now, this is a message not just for the men, it's applicable to everyone, but I, I specifically want to talk to the men in the house today. Open up your Bibles if you would, I know this is 2022, so now it's on your, your phone, your iPhone or our Galaxy, Samsung, whatever you have. Uh, but turn over to our, our click over to 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, you'll see it behind me as well. It is, says this, I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. And then Micah, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 8. Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, I do come before you, Lord, today. Lord, I'm humbled, God, at the opportunity, Lord, that I have, God, 
to be a conduit that you would use to deliver the gospel. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that I would decrease so that you would increase, so that you would touch, Lord God, the hearts of your people. Maybe there are someone here today that doesn't know you, and maybe they're just trying to figure out this faith thing. They're trying to figure out this, this Jesus movement. They don't even know how they ended up here. May they know that you brought them here, God, for such a time as this. And so move by your spirit. We give you the glory in Jesus' name, God. Amen. Amen. I was playing a basketball game a number of years ago. I was a pretty good uh, basketball player, uh, about 5'11", maybe 6 feet, depending on what type of shoes I'm wearing. And I was guarding a guy, I felt like he was like 4'2", you know, really short guy, but he was an amazing offensive player. And he had this nasty hook. No matter how high I jumped, I could not block his shot. And it just seemed like the crowd was going wild. It, was, it really felt like the crowd was rooting against me as this player was just so dynamic and this guy was burning me on the court. And I remember walking off the court with my head down. And I remember my mom, it was like at an intermission, I guess, if you will, during the game. I remember my mom uh, yelling (laughs) at me. And she said, boy, pick your head up. Stop walking out that court with your head down. Hold your head up high. And it seemed like at that moment, it wasn't just about a basketball game. My mother was trying to teach me that being a man means walking with your head up high. It's too bad that my father wasn't there to teach me that principle and so many other principles as it relates to manhood. We got to give credit to strong moms today, right? Our strong wives, strong grandmothers. Yeah, let's praise the Lord for our women. We just celebrated Father's Day a few weeks ago. I heard an interesting statistic that Father's Day is the least attended service during the year. I wonder why. My brother and I were talking just the other day about how we were able to become good fathers even though we never saw one. That is, we never had a father in the home, a consistent presence in the home to teach us manhood. And not just manhood, but biblical manhood. There's an identity crisis in our country right now. And I believe one of the reasons why we're seeing so many different shootings and so many acts of violence and, and so, so many riots, it has to do with so many of our, of our young people that lack purpose or their passion is misdirected or there's idleness. And I heard someone say there's nothing more dangerous than an idle man because an idle man is disconnected from purpose. They're just floating adrift. One of the reasons why our prisons are filled in part is due to fatherlessness. Our homes in the streets are emptying, are emptied of men while our prison houses are filling with men. I work as a chaplain in the Department of Corrections, as you all know, at Shirley MCI, and I heard an interesting statistic that over 90% of those that are incarcerated have grown up 
in or some 90% have grown up in fatherless homes. And there's a direct correlation between fatherlessness and incarceration. The fatherless epidemic has created a, a toxic vacuum in America's children right now. And, and so many of our children are filling up this vacuum with, with gangs and, and, and sex and drugs and, and alcohol and so many other destructive entanglements. And, and perhaps the greatest need right now within the African-American community right? And, and I say African-American community because mass incarceration impacts disproportionately the African-American community, it, it appears. And perhaps the greatest need, not just for the African-American community, but for American society, for the world as a whole, is healthy fathers. Most, if not all, of our problems within society can be traced to this single question, Adam, where are you? There's a generation of kids right now wondering, Daddy, where are you? Daddy, where have you been? And that question as you grow up in, in, uh, with, without a father in your life or without someone, a, a spiritual uh, 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 person of influence to speak into your life, that question can sort of echo throughout your life. I know because it did mine. And even our churches in America, it seems like are, are filled with, with more women than men. And it's like the Spirit of God is wondering, even in our churches, Adam, where are you? Or is there a man in the house? Jay-Z, Jay-Z wrote in his rap song, where have you been? Now, parental guidance is advised. All right, so don't, don't go home saying, you know, Pastor TJ said, I can, I can, I can listen to Jay-Z, where have you been? Uh, one of the first words I heard was blink when I listened to the song. I was like, God, forgive me. You know, you know why I'm listening to this, you know. I'm just trying to hear, hear what Jay-Z has to say as it relates to, to manhood. Because if you want to know what's going on in culture, listen to their poets. And I began to listen to this song by Jay-Z, and he said, blank you, blank you very much. He showed me the worst kind of pain, but I'm stronger, and trust me, I will never hurt again. We'll never ask mommy, why daddy don't love me? Why is we so poor? Why is life so ugly? Mommy, why is your eyes puffy? And these questions echo within the hearts of little boys and little girls that are growing up, trying to discover who they are because of father absenteeism, because, of, because there wasn't someone there to, to, to speak into their lives. But this need that we have for earthly fathering transcends what any earthly relationship can provide. It really points to a greater need of, a, of, an, of experiencing that of the heavenly father who says, I love you so much that I sent my son, my son, right, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. Not just for the world, not just for the cosmos. Jesus Christ died for you specifically. And, and one of the reasons why I believe that Jesus died for you specifically is because you were worth it. But some of us wrestle. Some of us still wrestle with that idea that I'm worth it. Am I really worth it? What does that mean? Because for so long I've been rejected. 
For so long, maybe for some of you, for so long, you've been, all you've known is rejection and abuse and misuse and, and maltreatment and, 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 and all kinds of, of trauma that you've experienced. So it, it hinders you from being able to really con- fully conceptualize the love of Jesus, that, that God loves you. And it's like, God, you really love me just as I am? Because I've tried religion and it didn't work. I've tried church, and it didn't work. And, and what many of us are, are really longing for is we're like, God, I don't need religion. I need relationship. Yes, we can praise the Lord. I need relationship. I don't have time to play church. I don't have time to play religion. I need, a, I need a touch from a, from a real God, a, a real father that will love me. Is, is this heavenly father safe? How can I fully con- uh, and it really uh, conceptualize this concept? And there's a striking passage in the Bible in, second, in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. We see this strong, stout, valiant warrior named David. Redhead, a boy, we know him immediately. When I think of David, I think of how David slayed Goliath. Awesome. Uh, Tens of thousands were slain as a result of David. Handsome. Regal. But all of a sudden, we see the other side of David's life. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, David is in the winter of life. The Bible says death is approaching. And in this moment in his life, all he wants to do is make a clean pass. He does what many elderly people want to do. I've talked to older uh, people, and it seems like all they want to do is, I've even walked by uh, like nursing homes or or, or, long-term living facilities, and, and you see the elderly, and they, they just want to talk to somebody. <laughs> they, they just want to pour into someone who's willing to, to listen. Perhaps if you're willing to listen, you may glean a bit of wisdom that can, that can go on with you, that will help you run on a little bit longer and leap over perhaps where they tri- what they tripped over. And so David calls his son Solomon over, and he wants to make a clean pass. For those of you that ran track, there's nothing more, there isn't anything more frustrating than if you ran the 4x4 or the the 4x2 for someone to drop the baton. (laughs) Totally ruins the momentum. David wants to make sure he does not drop the baton. The concern I have in many of our churches and many of our homes is that there's too many of us men that are dropping the baton. We're not making a clean pass. You know, discipleship is about passing the baton. It's about pouring into others. It's about living a God-glorifying legacy. And so in the NLT, David says, I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. We must understand not just the exegetical context of this chapter, but the emotional context. David sees death approaching. He calls a son over, and his son Solomon is probably a bit battling with a little bit of discouragement. This is a very somber moment. His father is dying. 
But it's at that moment where David says, take courage. Be a man. Another translation says, prove yourself a man. Now, when I first read this, I'm thinking, uh, David, Solomon is a man. <laughs> you know, he, he is very much a man. He has all the biological, physical characteristics of, of a man. He, he is uh, our, perhaps a young, uh, a young man, perhaps. And I'm thinking, man, there's nothing about him that would make me doubt his masculinity. But to that, I'm confident that David would say, David would say no, there's more which would be implicit of the fact based on this particular text that being a man is more than having the equipment. Being a man is more than being chiseled. Being a man is implicit of when David said, be a man, be strong, be a man, or prove yourself, which in the Hebrew is haya, which leads me to this question. How can I prove myself to be a man if I don't even know what a man is. Men at the prison are trying to live out manhood. They're trying to pioneer manhood, having never truly grasped the biblical concept of manhood. In an article about gender and masculinity, this question is entertained. So what does it mean to be a man? How much of that is determined by biology? How much is influenced by the society we live in? And how much control do we even have over the ways we behave? In 2018, there's this time opinion, Times opinion piece that says the boy, that's titled The Boys Are Not All Right. The comedian and author Michael Ian Black writes, boys, though, have been left behind. No commensurate movement has emerged to help them navigate toward a full expression of their gender. It's no longer enough to be a man we no longer even know what that means. Is being a man truly defined by our modern-day urban poets and hip-hop culture? That it's about having, about having fast, about fast living or, or fast cars or fast money or fast women. Because when we look at the scripture, the biblical text, the Bible is littered with men, right, that were, who, who all they could think with, who could not think with their minds, all they could think with was whatever was needed to lie with concubines. Different facets of, of pop culture would have us believe that manliness uh, equates to certain behaviors or, or certain attitudes, or like in sports, like in NFL football, right, or, or like in cars, right? But, but none of these things necessarily define masculinity. And so what does it really mean to, to be a man? And it's just simply looking like Jesus. Jesus was the epitome of masculinity. Jesus modeled masculinity. And, and, and so the question is, why is there a crisis of manhood in this nation? Why is our national dialogue grappling with this concept called toxic mas masculinity? And so the approach I want to take to answer this question really quickly is I want to go through the gospel narrative really quickly, uh, creation, fall, redemption. And I'm going to leave the last part off uh, for the sake of this message, restoration. But specifically, when we think about creation, we think about the first Adam in the book of Genesis, right? The first Adam was the first man. We look at his role as a man, and immediately we discover that Adam failed in his role as a man. 
In the beginning, man on planet Earth uh, was meant to image the beauty and reign of God and all of creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. According to this passage, men's defining characteristics were to image God. They were to image the Lord, and their primary task was to rule over the fish, the birds of the sky, over all the livestock, over all the earth. In other words, men were called by God to steward creation, and not just steward creation, they were called to name creation. And when Adam is naming creation, he wasn't just naming creation, he was affirming their purpose. He was affirming purpose. And even today, men have the power to name and affirm purpose. A home without a father is a home without a man where somewhere down the line has abdicated or has abandoned their primary role of speaking into their children's life, of naming and affirming their purpose, of telling them who they are. I have three girls, three princesses. My wife is my queen. My son is my prince. I have three girls, one boy. I started dating my daughters early. Because I wanted to make sure that my voice, God's voice, really through me was the primary voice affirming who they are. They don't have to go through their life wondering who they are and finding some form of illegitimate relationship, some dude, right, that will will speak and tell them whatever they want to hear because of ulterior motives. And so I want to make sure that my daughters grow up knowing who they are. That they don't need a man to affirm who they are, right, ladies? You know who you are in Christ. A man is only there to confirm who God has already told you, or what, or what God has already spoken into your spirit. You know, essentially, when Adam was naming God's creation or speaking of God's creation, he was telling it what it was. But immediately, I must go faster. Immediately, we gather several truths from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that Adam was called to steward over all creation, including his family. He's called to walk with God and for God. He was called to image God. He was called to name and affirm purpose for creation. And he's called to steward his family as well. All of this responsibility was in light of his accountability before a holy God of which he walked with during the coolness, in the coolness of the day. But in Genesis chapter 3, we witness the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, and it's on our screen, I'm going to jump down to verse 8. In Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to jump down to verse 8. And we know the narrative, the gospel narrative, we should know where the serpent was the shrewdest over all the wild animals the Lord God had made. The Lord had spoken and gave a command to Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit, this forbidden fruit. We know what the story, how the story ends after that. But if we jump down in verse 8, we see this. We'll pick up there because of time. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. 
So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God said, the Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. It was the woman. <laughs> I imagine Adam's like, I don't know, who is this woman? I don't even know who this woman is. He's like, I imagine Eva's like, that's not what you said last night. You know, I was the wife. Now I'm the woman, you know. <laughs> and men, we still do this today, don't we? I admit to you, I confess, there have been moments when I blame my wife, Gina, for outcomes in our lives. You see, my wife is black and bold. <laughs> you know, that's what, I, that's what I get for marrying a black woman. She is black and bold. <laughs> and she's not afraid to say, no, you were in on this with me. You made the decision with me. When we get into trouble, it is human nature to try to first look and see who you can deflect the blame. Right? We don't want to own, take ownership for our, our, our decisions. And what Adam is doing is Adam is trying to deflect the blame when really he received the command, right? In Genesis chapter 2, he received the command not to eat of the fruit of the tree. Thus, in Genesis chapter 3, what we see is the death of manhood. And when Adam fell, when, when Adam fell, all of us fell. And as a result, we see, uh, we see the distortion of creation. We see the, the, the order of creation is distorted in, in which Satan distorted the order of creation in which we would begin to worship the creation over the creator. And we would begin to continue this unholy lineage of abandoning our responsibility of not, at, of not really fully embracing our God-giving purpose, our God-giving roles. Sin comes on the scene, death comes on the scene, and it's not until sin comes on the scene that we see men abdicating their responsibilities. Men, where are you abdicating your responsibilities? Both in and outside the church, where are you falling short of your God-given purpose. There's so much riding on you, walking out and fulfilling the purposes of God in your life, because whatever you abdicate, whatever you abandon, whatever you unplug from eventually dies. Your family needs your attention, because without you being fully engaged, they, there's, there, death will enter. There, there's going to be uh, whatever you don't give your full attention to will be neglected, will, will, will die. And, and your family needs your attention. Your, your, your marriage needs your attention. What are you abdicating? Adam and Eve fell because in those moments they were led by passion instead of purpose. The great judge, Samson, got into trouble, right, because he was led by passion instead of purpose. He, was, he, was, he fell in love with, with Delilah, right? David got in trouble when he was led by passion instead of purpose when he took a second look because of idleness and got caught with Bathsheba. We understand that Solomon got into trouble because the Bible lets us know that he was in love with strange women. Too many of us 
live like males instead of men. A male will use that money that he just earned and go, by, go and buy tennis shoes instead of, uh, instead of providing for the needs of his family. And he knows his family are hungry. His kids are hungry. They need to eat. He buys shoes instead. And you can't eat those Nikes, right? You can't eat the Jordan. No matter how much hot sauce you put on those Adidas, they are not edible. <laughs> A male will waste all of his money at Mohegan's son when his son at home needs his attention. Abdicating their responsibilities, being led by passion. I'm not just talking about passion, but I mean uh, legitimate passion, perhaps pursued in illegitimate ways. Our misdirected passion. A male whistles at every prim and that per woman that walks because they're being led by passion. And men, in order to fix what's broken in your life, And ladies, in order to fix what's broken in your life, you have to go to the architect of your life, which is Jesus Christ. You have to seek his face and remain connected with him, to walk with him, and to walk with God in the coolness of the day. One of the reasons why Adam was able to discern the the way God had desired for him to walk in his purpose and his calling is because he walked with the Lord in the coolness of the day. There's too many of us that are not walking with the Lord in the coolness of the day. They're not hearing the Lord, and, and I don't know about you, but there are moments at home when I'm like, Lord, you got to coach me. God, you got to coach me. you got to show me how do, I, how do I raise these kids? How do I, how do I raise up and, and, and develop a family of Jesus followers that are passionate about you, God? How do I do this, Lord? You, you have to speak to me and, and coach me and, and guide me and counsel me. You know, there was a second Adam. And his name is Jesus. Jesus brought redemption. Jesus came to restore manhood. And this is such good news. This is such good news because so many of us fall short, right, of of the epitome of biblical masculinity. I'm not up here pretending like I got it all together. But I'm so glad that Jesus did. You see, in one hand, I wrestle with 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. I wrestle with this because David says, be strong, be strong. In other words, be of good courage, be courageous, and prove yourself a man. And later on, you understand the ways that Solomon is called to prove himself a man in the rest of, of, of chapter 2. But I wrestle with that a little bit because no, no matter how much proving, no matter how much effort and, and, and that I try to rise up and improve and, and haya myself, I still fall short every time. I'm so glad that Jesus is all sufficient. You don't have to worry about measuring up. Jesus already measures up. Jesus lived the life you couldn't live. Jesus died the death you could not die. He's enough. He put himself in a position to step in a sinful world where he would be tempted by all things, yet he was without sin. Jesus was the ultimate man because he lived up to God's standard of excellence. And there it is, Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin And God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater, here's the good news, but even greater is God's wonderful grace 
and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. The reason I wanted to bring this message today, a few months ago, and you probably know the story, Will Smith, after Will Smith, and, and don't get me wrong, I love Will Smith, by the way. You know, he's the, one of my favorite actors. And he went up and he slapped Chris Rock's face. Ironically, later, I believe he, re- he won, he received the Academy Award. And I think for many of us, maybe for a moment, we're thinking, man, Will Smith, is this, is this an act? I, there, there's, there's dialogue on, on, on television of wondering, was this part of the skit? Like, is, is this, this, is this, Will Smith, this you, you're, you're playing, right? This is, just, this is just an act. But in those moments, he was being authentically Will because we've, we've seen him in, we, you know, we've seen him in King Richard. We've seen him in I, I Am Legend. We've seen him in French Prince of Bel-Air, right, in West Philadelphia, born and raised. I think some of you know the song. I'm not going to sing the song. <laughs> but in those moments, he's being authentically Will. And I think Will Smith really reflects a culture of men that are struggling to understand what it means to be a father what it means to be a husband, what it means to protect, what it means to love. Because his move against Chris Rock reflects a culture that's grappling with the same things. The slap that he ran across Chris Rock's face reverberated through culture. And it encouraged and stimulated some to begin to write or talk about it on YouTube or podcast. This concept of toxic masculinity and in an article by the Harvard Gazette, a Harvard psychology explains the biology behind Will Smith's behavior when he struck Chris Rock on stage at Sunday night's Oscars. In an article, it is noted, though frowned upon in many segments of society, violence remains a primary feature of messaging around masculinity, she said. On the playground in movies, and perhaps even in the home. In Micah chapter 6, the people of God are asking, they're looking at what's broken, and they're asking, what do we need to do? They're looking at what's broken. And when I look at America, I see what's broken. Mass incar- out of all the uh, countries in the world, America is among the top country with the most that are mass, that are, that are incarcerated per capita. I'm looking at what's broken. Mass incarceration is no longer something that you can sort of uh, just brush over and not think about. It's come to your doorstep. I'm looking at what's broken. In a culture where 90% of, of many, where 70% or more of children are growing up in fatherless homes, I'm looking at what's broken. Satan wants to ensure that we grow up in these fatherly, uh, uh, fatherless environments because it has a way of perverting us, of perverting our understanding of the character of God because our first understanding of what God is like often comes from the person that catches us on the other side when we come into this world. And so if our relationship with our dad or our, and our mom isn't right, it, it has a way of causing us to mischaracterize the, the person of God. I'm looking at what's broken. 
And they're asking, Lord, what are we to do? What do you want us to do? And in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says this, to seek justice. It says, and this, we'll read the NLT first. Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Another version says it this way, to seek justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with God. It uses the term justice. We need more men to love mercy, to seek justice, to walk humbly with God. And what does that mean? Really quickly, that's another sermon. Don't have time to go through it all. But I'm going to say just for the purpose of this, this message, to seek justice is, is to make what's wrong right. And you don't have to go far to seek justice. You can do it right in your home. You can be the agent that God uses to make what's wrong right, right in your home. It starts with the family. It starts with you. Allow the God of justice make what's wrong right in you. And in order for God to bring about justice, God wants to fit what fits what's broken in you. And the reason why so many of our families are broken is because we are broken. We're, we're broken. We're, we're wrestling. And, and then there's mercy. To love mercy is to love the Hesed love of God. The Hesed love of God is, is a hard word to describe because God's love is indescribable. It's unfathomable. It is inexplainable. It, it overwhelms us. Yes, we can praise the Lord. That Hesed love of God is God's loving kindness. And, so, and, and we should seek justice, but we should love mercy as well because God is just and, and God is love mercy. And we should live our lives in the same way the Lord, the Lord loves and, 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 and loves us and cares for us. Mercy is forgiveness without punishment for what was done wrong. And in a culture where if, if, the, if these statistics are right, that, that so many of us are growing up, right, with, 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 with fatherless homes, it lets me know there's so many people that need some forgiveness therapy. And maybe there's someone right now, right now, and one of the reasons why you've struggled to really unpack the, the power of the gospel, you've struggled to untangle Jesus, because there's unforgiveness in your heart. You're broken. You know, two phrases I've learned, I've married for a bit, and two phrases I've learned. Number one, I love, you have to say over and over again two phrases, I love you, I love you, I love you. And forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. <laughs> she have to, I have to say it over and over again. And in a just way, you acknowledge that others have hurt you. But in a merciful way, you forgive the people that hurt you. Why? Because unforgiveness robs you of your manhood. If you just have justice, you'll just condemn everyone. But when you have mercy, you'll love and forgive those who have caused fault. Forgive. And finally, to walk humbly with God, to walk with God. The Bible says regarding Enoch, that Enoch walked with God and was not. Men, we're called, and ladies, we're called to walk with the Lord until we're, until we're not. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, right? Husbands, ought to, you, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? 
You know, men, when something goes bump in the night, don't send your wife up or down to go find out, don't hear the noise. Don't, like what I, what, I, what I did, I remember I went downstairs, I heard something go off. I went downstairs, went, up to, went down to the garage, opened the door, there was a possum in the garage, and I'm just freaking out. And I called my wife for backup. I was like, Gina, you got to back me up. I'm a city boy. I don't even think about possums, you know. And, no, you take care of yourself. To walk with the Lord is to commune with him. I want to close with this. My son Cyrus was born about eight or nine years ago, eight, eight years ago, almost nine. Hopefully I'm right about that. Eight, nine years ago. <laughs> Four kids, it's hard to keep up with their ages. I was so excited. I had three girls. My son came. Last one, I was so excited when he was born. And I knew this was an opportunity to give him something that I don't have to give him myself, to be there and to make sure that I'm there for him because we serve a God who's always there, who never leaves. I want to ensure that I'm a man of the rainbow, but not the rainbow in a sense what the world has tried to redefine. How many of you know that you cannot redefine what God has already defined? I want to be a man of the rainbow, which lets me know that God is a God of covenant. God is a God of commitment. And so you, he does not change like shifting shadows. And so you as a man, to be a man of the rainbow means that you're a man of commitment. You're a man of covenant. You don't change like shifting shadows. If you say you're going to be somewhere, you show up. So you're going to be at your, your, your son or your daughter's basketball game or, 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 or cheerleading competition. You show up. Because you want, to, you want your daughter to understand that God doesn't fail. He's a man of his word. He's faithful to his promise. My son is about eight, or, uh, eight going on nine. He's growing up. And I thought to myself, man, this dude is growing up. I've got to make sure he's always with me. I've got to make sure he's so close to me that he smells the deodorant under my armpits. <laughs> because I want him to look like me. I want him to smell like me. I want him to talk like me. I want him to be just like me. I want there to be a residue of, of dad on his life. To walk with the Lord, you ought to spend so much time with Jesus, ladies and men. So much time with Jesus that you smell like Jesus. You look like Jesus. There's a residue of an, of an anointing on your life because you've been with God. When you walk into your home, power comes in. Because you've been with Jesus. We must close. Dear Lord, in these last couple of minutes that I have left, dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to share this word today. I pray, Father God, that, Lord, the congregation would walk out chewing on this word. So it's not just something they heard today, but it's something they heed today. I pray that this word would have them, that they would take and eat of this word, your word, not my word, your word, so that it would transform their lives, so that we would produce healthy families, so that we would reconcile with our children if we need to be reconciled, so that we would father the fatherless, so we'd be agents of healing in a broken world. We love you. To God be the glory.
In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you.